By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is part two of our discussion on club path and swing direction. So if you haven't listened to part one, you can go back to that episode first. Just a quick note before we get started. Thanks to all the Sweet Spot listeners who have bought my new book, The Four Foundations of Golf. Your support and messages mean a lot. For those who have read it, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on Amazon. That will help others find the book. And without further ado, here is part two of our discussion. All right, John. So would you like to go through the technical things that you've done in the past that you know of to change change your club path, swing path? I'm probably the worst <laughs> resource for this because I'm not really a technical player. I haven't, taken, I haven't gotten a swing lesson in 10 years. The main thing for me is more the alignment thing. So that probably the feet alignment for me, perhaps a little bit of shoulders, some of the work I did with my driver, figuring out how can I set up and align to the ball to neutralize my swing path, because I think that was something that was really holding me back with the driver, the in-to-out path. A lot of it is, I don't know, I don't really ever track it. I don't use alignment rods. I'm very instinctual, but I bet my alignment with my feet is probably a little open to my target, even though I'm swinging into out a bit. And that probably is a good matchup for me. I don't really think about it too much. It's just kind of like these experiments I do. And then I look at the ball fly and be like, okay, that's working. Do that. I think that's really the main one for me. I'm looking at your notes here. Maybe some spine tilt stuff. But yeah, in terms of all of this technical stuff, I'm going to pass the baton back to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I mean, you, you've taught thousands of golfers over the years fixing these things. And my solution to the problems were always instinctual. So I'm not on the lesson T trying to give the technical solutions to golfers. So let's defer to you on this and maybe I'll pepper some thoughts in there. Yeah. I mean, as, as an instructor, I'm always thinking of things in terms of mechanics, you know, how I see a person is like, what, what's their hands doing? What are their shoulders doing? How's their body sequencing? How I teach, however, I might be, I might go up to someone and say, Oh, can you hammer this nail to the left? So thinking technically and actually the intervention you use can be very different, but you can always use technical drills as well or technical training. I, I'm not against that at all. I do it in my own game. I just think people just get sucked too far down the rabbit hole with that and, and lose sight of the task. I don't think they know the solutions because, well, again, yeah. I think I know a decent amount of, about the golf swing at this point, and I still don't feel comfortable talking about it in this way or like 
or even teaching someone in a technical way or working on my own game in a technical way because it is confusing and there's a lot of matchups and things to consider that's why i think a lot of golfers who are just technique 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 that's why they're always kind of stuck going from one thing to the next but there are getting it from someone like you who can look at someone and then be like, all right, this is the matchup we need. And you give them the simple explanation. Like that's the value of working with a swing instructor or getting this type of advice. So maybe you can give a few life rafts to people in the technical elements here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so if we go to alignment, that would be the easiest way to change path, right? If you Uh, were, if you were a robot, Yeah. If you aim 10 degrees more left and make the same swing, your path is going to be 10 degrees more to the left. So that's the easiest way of, of doing it. However, I suppose this goes back to the instinctive stuff is we have a mental aim as well. We might aim our body in a certain way, but our minds are still thinking about hitting a certain target, right? This is why aiming left for a slicer, while that should work, you know, if a slicer's aiming, uh, hitting everything 30 yards right all the time, if you aim them 30 yards left with both club face and body, they should hit balls on target now. However, that slicer then mentally visualizes hitting back to the old target. And so they end up opening the face even more. So alignment in itself should work better than it does but often you can aim someone in a different direction and they try and swing back towards the target in the old way i would say that out of all the body pieces like if you look at feet alignment knee alignment hip shoulder eye alignment i would say that shoulder and eye alignment are, are big dictators of club path you can make a big change with someone just by changing like the head tilts and shoulder shoulder positions. But I always try and combine that with, you know, maybe a different mental aim, see, helping them see the ball start in a different direction as well or try to visualize. In more technical terms or more technical things, spine, side tilt tends to be a big dictator as well. So if you tilt more to the right, throughout the swing or even in setup that tends to encourage more of an in to out path and if you tilt the spine more to the left so you imagine doing a left side crunch a left oblique crunch that will tend to make you swing more out to in as well i'm like tilting my spine as you say this yeah all else being (laughs) equal and this is usually why you know someone mentioned something about body sequencing and they said why do if you swing, if you start more with the upper body, why do you swing more out to in? Well, it's not actually the sequence in itself that tends to change swing direction and path. But players who start more with the lower body in terms of both shifting more and rotating more with the lower body, they tend to also drop the upper body back or enter more side tilt away from the target. And that can cause more in to out path. Whereas a player who's more upper body dominated, you know, swing back and they start down with the upper body. It's not the fact that the upper body starting down that makes your path more out in. It's more the fact that when players start with the upper body, they tend to also get into more left side tilt. So that's, that's the reason. So side tilt is a huge thing that influences path. Some easier things to understand, lead arm position at the top of the swing. So how flat it is. So if you take the lead arm position, you've got guys who are very steep, like a Jim Furyk. Their lead arm is actually covering their ear at the top of the swing. And then you'll have guys who are kind of flatter. So their lead arm is like shoulder, almost almost on the same shoulder plane. And this isn't a huge dictator of path. It's not as big as many people would think, but... You know, you have to take the whole, the the variables as a whole. But if I, again, were to take 100 golfers and flatten their lead arms throughout the backswing, they would tend to swing more in to out. And if I took 100 golfers and I gave them a steeper lead arm position at the top, they would tend to swing less in to out or more out to in. There are, you know, lots of other variables that can stop that. Like Jim Furyk has a very steep left arm, but he also has other variables in the swing that stop him swinging out to in. Most golfers couldn't manage what Jim Furyk does with his lead arm at the top of the swing. 
Well, isn't it uh, Brandel Chambly? I think he, he he's always tweeting that the hill he dies on, that the, the most elite players of all time have that hands really high up, Nicholas, all those guys, because he thinks it leads more to that high buttery cut. You know, he loves Justin Thomas's hands at the top of his swing, Scotty Scheffler. But yeah, I, that makes sense to me as if, for the most part, if you have a flatter lead arm at the top of your swing, that's going to be easier to get it into out. But I'm sure, isn't Matt Kuchar an example of the opposite? Does he have an out there yeah. swing path? I was thinking of him. Like he has literally, other than like maybe Ricky Fowler, the flattest lead arm I've ever seen. And you would assume he hits a, a draw, but he doesn't. He fades it, right? Well, yeah, because there are other variables exactly. at play. You, yeah. you could say in terms of matchups, you know, or how, how these variables work together. Yes, you could say Matt Kucha's lead arm is flat, which would tend to make him swing more into out. But he may sequence his body different. He may have a different hand path on the way down. He may come out more rather than dropping the hand straight down. Similar for like a Jimenez or a Ben Hogan, you know, they just, they do other things. You know, Ben Hogan used to rip his body open through impact, which will make the path more left. Combined with a lead arm that's flatter, you know, they match up quite well. Whereas Jim Furyk, you'd say, well, how does Jim Furyk get his lead arm so steep and not slice across it to the left? He like slots it down on the inside, right? Exactly. He slots it from the top of the swing. His hands actually work backwards way yeah, behind crazy. him in the, in the downswing. <laughs> Similar to Dustin Johnson, even though he plays a fade, which would kind of match the lead arm steepness, he drops the hands back down behind him a little bit as well. So it's not as much of a fade as it would be otherwise. So... Yeah, there's, there's all, you have to take the, the movement as a whole and everything as a whole, but you can still use the algorithms of if I want you to swing more left, I can get your lead arm steeper. So it, it can be as simple as that. So I think people worry a little about matchups and they say, well, what are the optimal matchups? What should I be doing? It's like, don't, don't think of it like that. Think about if I want to swing more left, what are my options? You could align more left. You could get less side tilt away from the target. You could steepen the the lead arm at the top. So there are options that you could have here. You could get your body to rotate more through impact. You could be more open, you know, more open with the chest. And that's going to get your path more left as well. So tenden- as a tendency, players who are more open with their chest at impact are going to swing more left. Players who are more closed are going to swing more to the right. Again all else being equal. You can look at the hand path in transition as well. So from the top of the swing, what is that first move? Say from the top of the swing until the hands reach shoulder height. Players who pull the hands down a little bit more, I probably shouldn't use the term pull, but players whose hands drop down vertically more are going to swing more in to out than a player who, the same player whose hands work out more towards the ball to target line, the ball from the top of the swing, if you can visualize that. So imagine you're looking at the swing from down the line, you know, down the target, the typical swing camera that we'd look at. If a player drops those hands vertically, they're going to be more in to out than a player, the same player who would have the hands work out towards the ball a little bit more, out in front of them a little bit more. So as again, that's more of a complicated one, definitely. You can have Club position at the top can be a reasonably big dictator as well. When the club is pointing more to the right at the top, those players tend to have more of an in-to-out path. Club players who swing, the club is pointing more to the left or more laid off at the top will tend to be less in-to-out. There are lots of other variables that go into play again, so it's not always the case. I don't want people saying, oh, well, I'm laid off at the top and I swing into out. It's like, yeah, you do other things. But if I were to make your club more online at the top, you'd probably swing, uh, swing even more into out. A shaft shallowing is a huge one as well. So lots of people look at the shaft plane. You, know, you can draw lines on the shaft and see not if it's shallow, but what is the movement so it's not the position, it's the movement. That's a, a quote from John Sinclair, another great coach that I follow. So if a shaft is going from steep and it's shallowing late, those players tend to swing in to out more. Whereas if a player is going from a very shallow shaft position and it's steepening through the downswing, that tends to encourage more of a left path, left swing direction. So an example of that shallow to steep would be Garcia. 
If you look at the top and early transition, Garcia is very, very shallow with the club shaft, and as he progresses through the swing, that club shaft steepens, and he tends to play more of a fade shot. And swings Whereas, like 10 down on it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and left. And then you get other guys. This tends to be a, a worse player's pattern. Guys who are steep early on in transition. Guys who are steep with the club shaft early on in transition. And then they kind of do an early extension, maybe backing up. The hands go out and that club shallows very, very late. Those guys can be very in to out. So that's that goes against a lot of conventional wisdom that says, oh, if your club shaft is steep, you're going to be swinging left. No, I've seen loads of guys who have a, a steep shaft in transition that shallow it late, swing incredibly in to out. Those guys suffer with ground contact, tends to be a high correlator for inconsistency as well. And you guys can go back to the Sasho McKenzie module to listen to some more on that. But yeah, that's a kind of technical thing that people could look at. Now, what's your opinion now that you've <laughs> covered both? <laughs> which do you prefer, the 80 to 90% of golfers who are going at it by themselves? Which path would you prefer? No pun intended. Which path huh. would you prefer them to take? Well, I don't think it's an either or. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, as, as with everything, right, I listen to a lot of investing stuff and people people saying things like, oh, should, I've got a big lump sum. Should I left, uh, put some of it in the stock market, some of it in real estate, or should I buy all real estate, all stock market? It's like, we'll split it up, you know, hedge your bets a little bit. And that's kind of what I do as a golf instructor as well. Say I see a guy who's doing that late shallowing move, they're very, very steep early on, shallow it late, swinging in to out. Well, I might give them the nail drill you know, hammer that nail more left, and I might give them a drill where they're working on shallowing it in transition. I would vary the amount of practice they would do. I would say, right, more, if you're more in off season, let's do more of the technical one, the, the shallowing early. Whereas if you're more in season and we're just looking for immediate results, do more of the nail drill. And the combination of the two will work really well because it, it's working on intent, a player's intent, as well as the mechanics of how they're doing it. Well, that, I guess, is a point for the benefits of swing instruction is that you can get customized technical advice and it's not at the expense of the skill-based stuff that we talk. They, they work hand in hand. I'm just more thinking about the golfer who's truly on their own and they're thinking to themselves, okay, I got to shift this swing path, like maybe shallow the shaft, get the hands here. Like my instinct, and again, like when you described all those things, I'm like, I don't think about those things. I don't understand them that well. I don't want to know them, to be quite honest with you, because I don't want to go on the course with them. That's just the type of player I am. I'm thinking more about the golfer who, let's face it, there is a lot of info on YouTube where you can learn about the golf swing. And I put a tweet out about this the other day is like, do you really need to know it though? I don't think that you need to know a lot about the golf swing to play better golf. If anything, I'd say the more a lot of people understand about the golf swing, it could make them worse. And I actually got a response. We're going to have him on the show. I got a response from Rick Fair, who is a former PGA Tour player, pretty good player. He won twice on the tour in the 80s and 90s. Now he's a teacher. And he responded, he's like, well, I think I lost millions of dollars going down that route trying to learn more about the golf swing. So I'm very excited yeah. to hear his thoughts on it. But you know, my preference, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me too, is that I, I'd prefer to people who are going at it at their own who don't know a lot about the golf swing is to, yeah, go with the nail drill, the visual stuff, like the, the first part of this we talked about. Adam knows, obviously, by listening to this and other episodes, has spent how many years have you been teaching the golf swing, Adam? 20 uh, 15 20 15, years 20? Yeah, I, so i suppose since like 2003 oh my god yeah that's almost 20 years <laughs> how many lessons do you think you've given at this point oh, thousands and thousands i mean yeah. I was on, on the lesson tee for 40 50 60 hours a, a week for most of my life yeah yeah so you're you're seeing you know you've put your time in you're watching and you're you're also paying attention how to communicate to different players it's just that's why like I don't even bother with this stuff because I, I didn't put in that time. I didn't learn the golf swing like you did. So I just stay away from it and I prefer to work with like the more instinctual stuff that's based on the knowledge of the truth of, of what's going on at impact. So yeah, it's just every time I hear you or like when we have Shaheen on the show talk about this stuff, I'm like, it makes sense theoretically. It's just 
I always think about that golfer on the range by themselves, though, and saying, like, what do I think you have the best chance with? I think you have the best chance with the earlier part of this discussion, in my opinion. Exactly. The the unfortunate part is most people listening to this podcast are highly intelligent people. I know it's like a weird thing to say, right? The unfortunate part. But what that means is that even when you tell highly intelligent people, look, you probably shouldn't be doing this stuff on your own because you need to know a lot. If you were as arrogant as I was when I was younger learning learning this stuff, I'd be like, I can do it. I'm sure I can figure this out. And so <laughs> that's where most people are. And you can get yourself in a hell of a lot of trouble doing that, trying to add certain swing mechanics pieces that you think will influence what you want. And you find out that actually they don't. You know, In terms of a, an instructor's knowledge, we know all these mechanical pieces. We can look at things also in terms of cause and effect. You know, you might be trying to change something that's actually an effect. You might be changing something that there might be a prior cause to, and that should be changed instead of what you're trying to change. And you could be causing more trouble by trying to change what you're trying to change. So all that's to say, I know I'm kind of promoting PGA pros here or just any any golf instructor, but I would prefer if most people go and at least consult instructors rather than doing it on your own but i do understand the people who want to do it on your own yeah i didn't now, i didn't mean to i apologize i didn't mean to blow up the technical segment there it's just as i was listening to you no, say I all these things you. it just i wanted you to say all those things just so people could understand the complexities of it like there are many different solutions to that problem and just because you understand them theoretically does not mean like my goal for every golfer is to stand over the ball and react in an athletic way, the way your body knows how to. And I think the more, again, all things being equal, 100 golfers, if most of them learn more and more and more about the technical elements of the golf swing, if you follow those golfers for five or 10 years, I think that the other, if you did separate 100 golfers and maybe more of the other methods we discuss on this show, I think those golfers will fare better in the long term. Yeah, and it, I mean, it all depends. Like, how how good is the information? Yeah, you know, the guys, the guys from the eighties who were screwed up by technical information. It's probably because they're getting taught incorrect stuff. You know, like that's a good par, point. Ball starts on the path and curves. They taught incorrect ball flight laws, which is like real basic. Everybody was taught generic stuff as well. Like, you all have to grip it textbook. You all have to be in the same position at the top of the swing. And we know, you know, better instructors now. We know more about matchups and we know how, no, different positions can function perfectly well. We're less likely, or at least the most educated coaches these days are less likely to take a Jim Furyk and tear them apart. Whereas you go back to the 80s and there will be a higher percentage of instructors who would tear a Jim Furyk apart. No doubt. There's better information and the there's definitely a higher degree of certainty with what's being taught. I don't want to get too far off the path. I just want to share this quick story because this was like really mind-blowing to me. I was playing in a tournament earlier this year with one of the former best players in my area. He won the biggest amateur tournament. Always saw him on the leaderboards. I finally got to play with him. And he has like zero confidence in his game. Like just he's a mess. He's not scoring well. And I was just kind of picking his brain. And he was telling me the story about how he's, I don't, I'm not going to say the swing instructor's name, but it, it's someone actually pretty prominent that is, is very active on Instagram and has helped a ton of players. But he's working with this guy remotely and he's totally just taken apart his swing. And he pretty much told me he like, he steps on the course and he has no idea what's going on. He says, I hit it great in practice, but I step on the course, especially in a tournament. And he's like, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I just can't do this. And the craziest thing was is that he was committing to keep going along this path. He's like, yeah, it's probably going to take 18 months. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, this is craziness. We had a player who probably was mostly playing from instinct. I'm sure he'd gotten lessons in his life, but like was just really, really good. It gets back to this question is like, what do you stand to gain and what do you stand to lose? And this this player stood to lose a lot because he was really good. And I was listening to this and he's like, he's not enjoying himself. It's kind of a mess. And that's just like one story. But I just, I heard this and I was like, oh God, this is ruining his enjoyment of the game. And he's and he's like, just kind of lost because he's stepping on the course, thinking about like six different things when he tries to hit the ball. 
unfortunately, I mean, you you don't you hear more success stories uh, of swing changes or or over. Actually, is that even true? And what I'm trying to say is there are lots of guys out there who've played well, tried to remodel their swing and fallen off. And you're not going to hear that story because they've fallen off. They're nowhere yep. anymore. So you don't hear hear about them anymore. There are loads of tall players who that's happened to. So it's, it's one of the hardest balances so to strike hard. as an instructor. It's it's much harder with elite level golfers because they, like you say, you, you've got so little to gain as yep. an elite player. Your marginal gains, you know, you're trying yeah, to this gain guy a quarter was probably, of a stroke. Yeah, he was probably trying to get his scoring average down by half to a full stroke at most. <laughs> Yeah, and the potential downside of that is is huge. So yeah, it's it's really difficult. It's less so of an issue for like your fifteen handicapper. Yeah, they've the got less to lose. Is so much yep. better. No, yeah. yeah, that was uh, but, yeah. I just I, I've I've really just fallen off the map here. I should probably just shut up at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all. I mean, these are all different podcasts. I'm sure, we'll do an entire podcast on on these type of topics, but is all stuff that we should take into account. I mean, this is the point. There is another one we're talking about dangers to look out for or, or things that you should, reasons you should not change your path for. So I'll leave that for a little bit because we still got some other ways of changing the path. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? I am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with, Gooder Sunglasses. I pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on, and I definitely wear them all the time on the golf course, so it's a really important product for me. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands. Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast, so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course And you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to gooder, G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash sweet spot and use promo code sweet spot at checkout and you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's www.goodr.com forward slash sweet spot and make sure to use promo code sweet spot at checkout for your 15% discount. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonder Lux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. So we've talked about, we've talked about instinctive ways, we've talked about technical ways, I agree with you, John. In most cases, I'm going to try and stick to the instinctive ways with players. I think I can add technical drills when it's under supervision of myself because I can monitor. I can see what's happening. I can see what's changing. I'm also more likely to give a a drill that is going to have the desired effect, right, than if someone's just picking a random drill from YouTube. No disrespect to YouTube. But the... I would say as an overall thing, the nail drill, it's not going to do you harm 
to be able to swing a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the right from a pure intention stance. You know, just play around with it a little bit. Tee up a golf ball, try and hammer the nail a little bit more to the right, try and hammer it a little bit more to the left. Use some face spray as well to make sure you're not striking it horribly. The players who say, oh, the nail drill didn't work, they probably were doing the right thing. They were probably swinging more in to out and shanking it. Okay, yeah, you can't swing more in to out and shank it, but just some face spray is going to help you see that. But yeah, just the, having the nail drill, playing around with in-to-out paths, out-in paths, just a little bit, just to get a feel for it. I don't think you can go too wrong with that on your own. Well, I think you can accomplish, like you said, a few of those things on the checklist that you described technically can occur without the golfer even thinking about them. And that's like the best solution because then you don't have those thoughts on the course either. Yeah, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> It's one of these cases, though, as a pro, like I can look at a bunch of numbers in front of me. I can see, okay, angle attack is shallow. He's swinging to the right. His dynamic loss too much. He's doing this. And then I go, all right, that means just hammer this nail to the left. <laughs> That's, you know, it's, we take all this complex information as, as an instructor with our years of knowledge. We give that simple solution to the player. It's that, what was that analogy I heard? Like a, a guy ordered a plumber. And he comes in and, and he fixes the problem in like three minutes and says, that'll be $300, please. And the guy's like, what? Three minutes for $300? And the guy's like, yeah, you're, you're paying for my 30 years yeah, of expertise, years of not, the three, not the three minutes that I did use to fix it. It's like you're reading the Trackman screen, like Neo finally seeing all of the, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the green and black in the Matrix. He finally saw what was behind it or what it was representing. <laughs> yeah. But that is true. Like, I remember I had access to like a launch. I, I was on a simulator years ago and when i didn't understand spin rate and launch angle and all that stuff i was looking at all of it i'm like what the hell is all of this and like i would try and like play around with the numbers and i had no clue what i was doing that's why i still only now that i do understand that stuff i still only stick to launch angle spin rate most of the time when i'm working on my, my sky track at home i'm not messing around with too many other things just because like i i know what i know and i kind of know what i don't know and i also don't want to know what I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I don't it's want to open like that the, door. The race car, sorry, it's kind of like the race car driver anal analogy as well. You know, the you've got the mechanics working in the background, tweaking the torques of the car, the tires, this and that, and the driver. They pretty much just need to put their foot down and know how to drive the car, right? And it's, it's a similar thing as well for co the coach-player relationship. We might need to know all the ins and outs. We can link 10 different numbers to, okay, just do this one drill. Yet the player just needs to, you know, just do that one drill effectively. The benefits of swing instruction. I uh, know. I'm really promoting us right here. <laughs> okay. So we have another list of bullet points here on our list. Let's move onwards. So the other way to change path is to change low point position relative to the ball. So if you think of our tilted Ferris wheel again, the low point is where it's the part that's touching the ground effectively or the lowest point relative to the ground. And so what we could do, if we shift that low point forwards, more ahead of the golf ball, more target side of the golf ball, all else being equal, the path will be more in to out. So yeah, the players, the, the people on the carriages will be working more down and out if you shift that low point forwards. So shifting the low point forwards makes the path more in to out. So you can do that by just simply moving the ball back in your stance. If you put the ball back in your stance, you're more likely to swing into out or have that club path into out. You could do it through more weight shift as well. If you have more of a lateral shift towards the target, that will shift the low point forwards. You're more likely to have an into out club path. You could do later release as well. That's a bit more mechanical. It's tougher to do. But that tends to move the low point forwards as well. For most players, that'll make them shift the path more into out as well. Not a huge influence. I love ball position yeah, for, for changing path because that's something I do. Let's say I'm in the trees and I need to hit that low hook. I just put the ball back in my stance because I know when I catch it back there, I'm going to have a steeper angle of attack and it's going to hit the arc of my swing where it's more into out. Even with the driver, sometimes... You know, maybe I've been struggling this year a little bit more with driver and I kind of 
established a little fairway finder thing. It really is me just moving. You know, I usually tee the ball up very up in my stance. Sometimes if I feel like it's getting away from me, I'll just push it a little bit more towards the center, not too far, and just try and hit more of a low hook just to keep it kind of in play more to keep it down versus if I'm trying to hit that high launching shot and I'm not controlling my face while I'm hitting big blocks. I just move the ball position a little bit and it solves a few problems right there. So I'm a big believer in ball position, perhaps situationally and also you know, with your irons, like I'm thinking, you know, the Ben Hogan image is the most famous one, but my short irons, wedges, pitching wedge nine iron is more in the middle of my stance. And as the clubs get longer, I move the ball more and more forward because that helps me catch it more, a little less into out, more maybe out to in on those shots, which is good matchups. Yeah, it also helps change the trajectory as well. Yeah, you know, gets them in the air more. back in the yep. stance. It's, it's, it's a good trajectory. If you do a driver middle of the stance, then you're not going to... So yeah, we have to understand how, okay, moving the ball back is a really simple way of doing it. It will have the direct side effect. But these things, when we tend, when we move the low point forwards, yes, we'll swing more into out or club path will be more into out. But it has effects on other variables as well. Dynamic loft tends to come down. So yep. you'll probably hit it lower, which might be a good or might be a bad thing for you. Yeah, it's situational. And the angle of attack will get steeper as well. Because as you move the low point ahead of the ball, the angle of attack is just, just going to get steeper because that's just the way it is. That's just the geometry of it. So again, that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I think that's the beauty. What you were doing. That's what's so awesome about golf. Like there's always like a give and take. Even in club head design, when we talk to Woody about how they design drivers, there's always a give and take. They move the center of gravity back and that has a cost somewhere else. So, you know, you always have to be, I think that's why you and I always talk about feedback. Because you want to pay attention to what these things are doing. I've figured out over time that moving ball position around gives me the desired effect. Move it up in my stance for longer irons. I'm having less of a draw curve. I'm hitting it higher in the air. Great matchup. Would I put it in the back of my stance? No, because I'm going to hit a smothered hook that starts low and hooks too much. So that's why feedback is so important in practice and paying attention to it on the course. As you find out these little... You're always searching for these little things that help you in your game and are, are good matchups for your game. And that's what I've seen for me with ball position is that paying attention to what the ball's doing in the air versus where I have it in my stance. Now I have these these reference points while I play. And in terms of matchup matchups and low point position, so how ball ball position, low point position, swing direction, how they match up. I've said earlier in the podcast, the more we swing to the right the more the low point will move to the right or back in our stance. So this is why many players, they'll try and draw the ball and they'll start fatting it. Because as you swing more into out, your low point's going to move back. And so the matchup for that is you'll need something now to move the low point more forwards, which would either be more weight shift, ball farther back in the stance, something like that. So, yeah, when I'm swinging more to the right, when I'm trying to hit a draw, I'll place the ball back in the stance because it helps from two reasons. It helps move the low point forwards relative to the ball, and it matches up well with the right swing direction. And vice versa. If I want to hit a fade, I'll tend to move the ball a little bit farther forwards in my stance because it helps. It helps match up with that swing direction. Those are the mechanical ways of changing, mechanical and non-mechanical ways of changing club paths. Should we look at the dangers to look out for? Like why, what are the reasons not to change your path? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of dangers. The one I always think about, and I, I spoke about it before, is the trying to do two different paths. We've talked about this in other episodes. We're not proponents of people drawing the ball and fading the ball on command. Like I know that's the way theoretically it sounds like golf should be played you have a dog leg left you hit a draw in that hole you have a dog leg right you hit a fade if the pin's tucked in the back left you're gonna start it at the center of the green and draw it back there it sounds great it makes perfect sense i've just found that it's a complete disaster for most players when they try and do that i think it confuses the way you present the club face at impact when you keep changing swing path on the course it just takes you out of your comfort zone, the good matchups. If you do, like, let's say you are a good fader of the golf ball or you are a good drawer of the golf ball. Like, that's a great ball flight for you. 
I just think you stand more to lose by trying to shift your path in the opposite direction situationally, or if you're doing it like 20, 30, 40% time during the round. I think most players are losing more than they're gaining, even at the pro level. Like I know Fawcett says it all the time. I brought up Rory before. Like I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I love Rory so much. I really do. And I'm probably, I hope I don't get skewered for this, but I just, I wonder what would have happened. Like he, he started playing a fade, I don't know, eight, 10 years. I don't know how long ago it was. And he, he hits it still. I just wonder what would have happened. Maybe nothing better. I don't know. I'm just theorizing here. If he just stuck with his draw pattern, it just seems like that's his DNA as a golfer. And he tries to hit fades. And I see a lot of double crosses. Obviously, he's incredible. He's one of the best players in the world. Very talented. But I, you know, you see these shots in majors, and you're like, "Wow, what happened there?" But for most players, like I just think you stand more to, you're going to lose more than you're going to gain, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it can be changing your path on the course can be such a big discomfort. But obviously, that discomfort goes away as you practice something more. So, you know, Rory's in a position where you can practice something so much that it pretty much becomes automatic. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's doing it. Like, obviously, he's hitting fades. He's hitting draws. I'm just wondering, is that double cross costing him enough strokes where he should put it away? I don't know. But my instinct is maybe. Even in a situation where Rory ingrains this new motor pattern, he's still got that old motor pattern in there somewhere. That yeah, old it's confusing. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you call it, I think it's called bifurcation in the motor learning literature when you create two different motor patterns. And yeah, they can, there can be certain crossovers under pressure, for example. You can go back to old motor patterns and then your system can kind of become a little confused sometimes. You know, I use the analogy of when I was driving down the road and I see the lights come on, the police lights come on behind me. I panic, and first thing I do is go and reach for my gear stick, try and put <laughs> the clutch on. And I, yeah, and not only do I reach for the gear stick, I put my left hand into the door, so I'm even on the wrong side. You know, it's, it was that first thing that was ingrained in me. So yeah, under pressure, we can tend to go back to old motor patterns. So, but you know, even in the, those intermittent stages where you've got it kind of ingrained, but you're still not. You might have to think about it a little bit or you, it's just a confidence affecting, right? If you've seen the ball curve one way all your life, like all my life, I've seen a draw shot. That's how I visualize it. It's how I feel the game. I've seen a draw shot. And when I started hitting the ball, I don't want to say too straight, but I, yeah, it, on average, it was going too straight and I just lost confidence. I'd stand over a shot and I wouldn't feel as if I knew where this ball was going. Whereas when I played the draw shot, I was always just so free with my swing because I knew that ball was going to come back. I didn't know how much it was going to come back, but I knew it was going to come back. So I could even aim out of bounds right. I could set my body up out there and knew that ball was going to come back. So yeah, there could be confidence issues. Obviously, if those are outweighed by a tighter dispersion, then you always go with the tighter dispersion, right? I'd rather an unconfident person with a tighter dispersion than someone who's confident and whacking it everywhere. <laughs> okay, so sorry to all the golf psychologists out there, but it's not saying that golf psychology isn't important, but there are more important things with your outcome, obviously. But yeah, changing club path, changing swing direction is basically a bigger change as well. It's much bigger than changing face direction. You know, change of face direction might be a small tweak to the grip, small tweak to setup position. Generally, changing path and swing, changing swing direction requires changings of, of sequencing and arm planes and things like that. Even if you use something as simple as the nail drill, which can simplify all of that, you're still making more changes to impact. Your low point is going to shift. Your strike may even shift. So it can be a big change. And I certainly, if people are making big overhauls to their path, I'd rather them do it in off season, generally. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Them, yeah. So, and I think there's, you know, the reasons for doing it is when you have more to gain. So like we've gotten all these messages from golfers who are sending them, you know, their swing path numbers being like, hey, I've got this horrible hook. I've got this horrible slice. Look at my path numbers. Like, yeah, those are the, if that's you, if you're struggling, that makes sense to embark on these changes. And sometimes 
like me, for example, you said you were always comfortable as the drawer of the golf ball. I just took up golf like trying to hit a left to right shot and did that for a very long time. I wasn't very good at it. What I realized was I got a lesson like 10 years ago and the guy started having me come from the inside and I'm like, oh, that's who I am. It felt like I found my like golf DNA, whatever the hell you want to call it. It made me feel like I could let go of the club, whatever that feel is for me. I'm like, if I come from the inside, I can finally let go of this club rather than feeling like I'm holding on to this thing and hitting these huge blocks. So for me, and that took me a while to, because again, that you talk about technical, he had videoed my swing. I was super vertical. I actually saw a video of my swing when I was like 22 recently. It was somewhere in like my Apple history that was imported. And I remember I looked at it, I was like 22 or 23. My hands were so high in the air, it was insane. I was coming straight up and it was this very vertical, like out to end thing that was just not working for me. Now my swing looks completely different, but that was worth it for me because if I hadn't done that, we, you and me wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Practical golf would never exist. Like none of this, this project for me in my life would be totally different. So that was, that's an extreme case, I guess, because it altered my, my career, but it wasn't working for me and I wanted to make a change and and I had a lot more to gain than I had to lose. So yeah, that's like the opposite of that player I was talking about earlier in the tournament. He was looking for like a minor gain and he lost a lot. I hope he gets it back. Maybe he will. But in the meantime, he's struggling a lot to gain that half a stroke, that full stroke. You know, whereas someone else, the slicer is the 15, the 20 handicap who's on the course, like angry looking at this banana slice. Hell yeah, we want to change your club path. You only stand to gain from that. Yeah, if they if they 10 out in and they're slicing everything onto the target it's going like 170 yards and they've got a hundred mile an hour swing speed you're like well if we can if we can neutralize these things a little yeah, bit you're, you're going to be happier yeah. you're going to be hitting it 70 yards farther you know for no extra swing speed and that's gonna it's, it's long term definitely is going to have a big effect on you so yeah let's do this but the goal is is to get to that place where you're like okay this is my quote unquote swing path DNA. Like I am this type of pattern. This is good to me. Let's get really comfortable with this to the point where like, I never say golf is autopilot, but it feels so repetitive on the course. You don't have to think about it versus what I mentioned earlier. The dangers to look out for is like, I don't want you getting to that point and then be like, all right, now let's work on a the opposite shot pattern and add that to the repertoire. Like, no way. I do not want you doing that. I want you to be a one-trick pony. That's my preference. One thing I didn't mention, I'm just going back a little bit on the technical thing because it's kind of important, is body rotation, you know, and in the backswing as well. So it tends to be that a player who has more body rotation can turn their shoulders more in the backswing is going to swing more in to out, all else being equal. So, you know, all these different things match up, obviously. And with a long drive champions, because they're, they're basic, their goal is maximum speed. They have huge body rotations and they can combine it with very steep left arms as well. And they kind of match up well. And it's a great power matchup as well, those huge body rotations and high hands. Whereas if you don't have as much body rotation you're probably going to need a flatter lead arm as well to match up with that, or at least something else that creates more of an in-to-out path. So again, all else being equal, 100 golfer test, if I make them rotate more, they'll swing more in-to-out and vice versa. You can do simple things such as change foot flare to change that. If you take your back foot and just turn it out a little bit more away from the target, that can unlock more rotation in the hips, which will increase the shoulder turn generally, unless someone's uncomfortable doing that. And yeah, it can make it more in to out for some, actually some complex reasons I won't go into, but you just have to trust (laughs) trust me on that. Yeah, not probably not for the reasons that many people think, but so we are at a situation where we've done all our stuff in this podcast and we now have a huge listener mailbag and we're already at our end at 207 should we save the listener mailbag for another yeah i mean i think we we did address a lot of the questions but i think that's enough here selfishly i would like to watch the second half of the game of thrones episode 
and it's late we're at night here. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to start doing a, we both listen to the Animal Spirits podcast, right? We're going to have to start doing more recommendations, like what films we've watched, what TV series we're watching at the moment. So yeah, I think we can add that to it to make it more than just about golf, right? Well, yeah, I am enjoying the end of Better Call Saul and the resurgence of Game of Thrones so far. We'll see how it goes. I've heard Better Call Saul is horrible. Oh, no. It's it's a waste of time. Oh, no. I mean, the way the story unfolds and the character development and seeing what he was before Breaking Bad, it was boring at times, I thought, but now that I'm at the end of it, I mean, I think the the reviews at this point are like some people are thinking the storytelling is just as good as Breaking Bad. It's been pretty damn amazing. I'm I'm sad to see it go, but they're tying it up perfectly just like they did with Breaking Bad. I loved Breaking Bad, one of my favorite shows. Oh yeah, that's that's like top three or four for me. It's it's the one show that they didn't you know, when a show gets popular, they try and squeeze everything they can out of it. And then there's like two or three filler seasons. You could probably say that with Game of Thrones, but they didn't do that with Breaking Bad. They just like the story yeah. arc was like perfect. In any event, I think we could, yeah, let's wrap it up there. We, we did get a lot of questions. We probably didn't get to all of them. I think we're going to revisit a lot of these topics multiple times throughout the history of the show we probably need to talk about face angle again that was one of our first episodes and i'm sure we have a lot more to say about it at this point so yeah i think we gave people a lot so let's let's let this simmer for a while (laughs) and maybe in a a month or two we can revisit this topic and maybe do an episode on maybe impact or angle of attack or some of the other stuff on Mm -hmm. impact and we'll pepper it in with the other topics we explore on the show definitely so, John, where can people find you and what products can people get from you to <laughs> increase their knowledge? Well, you can finally get my product, The Four Foundations of Golf, my book that is available on Amazon. Uh, John, I think everybody's got it already. <laughs> yeah, did, did the whole golf world buy it? No, I think there's, there's plenty of more to go. So, yeah, if you haven't checked out my book yet, it's a, available on Amazon or some other retailers. I got on Apple and Barnes and Noble. Just search for Foundations of Golf and you can always find me on Twitter at Practical Golf where we chat with everyone and my website practical-golf.com. Adam, I think you have a lot more direct resources for people, appropriate drills, allowing people to understand the technical stuff in more context with your guidance. So tell them about your products. Yeah, all the, all the golf geeks out there who, who really loved all the intricate parts of this podcast, they're probably better off with Next Level Golf, my program there, where I go through everything. If you are more, I just want the simple stuff, the simpler drills with a little bit of technical thrown in, then the accuracy plan would be a great one for you to, to change your path and your face as well as working on strategy. So yeah, those are my products. You can also find me for free information on... Twitter at Adam Young Golf. And I'm also on things like Instagram as well. I think it's at adamyoung.golf there. And yeah, the website www.adamyounggolf.com. Thanks to everyone, as always, for listening to us babble about golf. And we will see you next time with a new episode. <laughs>